Welcome to MedMalCast. This is Melissa Updike, the Executive Director for Kentuckiana Medical Reciprocal Risk Retention Group. We're recording a series of podcasts to assist our insured physicians and providers in navigating the claims and litigation process. And we're here to hopefully make you your own best risk manager. Welcome to MedMalCast. I'm Melissa Updike, the Executive Director for Kentuckiana Medical Reciprocal Risk Retention Group. Today, I'm talking with Whitney Kramer, one of our senior claims managers and an attorney in our office. We're going to be discussing, you've been sued, now what? Whitney, tell the listeners about yourself. Thanks, Melissa. I've been with KMRRG since February of 2020. Prior to that, I was handling claims at another insurance company briefly before coming over here. And before that, I spent six years as a medical malpractice defense attorney for one of the local defense firms in town, defending physicians and hospitals in medical malpractice claims. Thank you. I'm just going to jump right in. Talk to us, Whitney, about why do physicians get sued? That is a great question and one that has a lot of various answers to it. Generally, it starts with a patient or a patient's family member who feels that he or she did not receive appropriate care, or there was an unexpected outcome in a procedure or course of treatment. The decision to file a lawsuit could be motivated by money if there are medical expenses tied to some kind of unexpected or unwarranted outcome. It could also be motivated by the desire to gain information. Sometimes a patient maybe feels like they weren't provided with all of the information in their medical record, or there was a delay in getting a copy of their medical record, leading them to file a lawsuit in order to get those documents. Sometimes a lawsuit could be filed because a patient felt like they weren't adequately warned about the risks of a procedure or were not given appropriate informed consent. Sometimes they might just be motivated by the revenge or the feeling of protecting other patients if they thought that they were provided care by an incompetent physician. The point is there are a variety of reasons that motivate the decision to file a lawsuit. Sometimes we'll understand those reasons and sometimes we won't. All very good points. Well, regardless of the why, When you get sued, we want all of our insured physicians and providers to be informed about the process. And the number one thing we want the listeners to remember is always call KMRRG as soon as possible when you are aware that you're involved in a lawsuit. So when they get this lawsuit and they are calling our office. What do you tell the physicians and providers when they make that call and say to you, hey, I've been served with this really legal looking document? The first question I always ask is, when did you get served? When did you get that document? Did it come in the mail? How did you get it? That is important for a number of reasons, but the most important is that the date of service triggers a response deadline for us. You have 
20 days after service of a lawsuit in which to file a response. Otherwise, something called a default judgment could be entered against you. And that's a legal term for something that we don't really ever want to have to deal with. So the important thing is, as soon as you get that document, call our office and let me know when you were served, because then that is what triggers the attorney who we hire that triggers the response deadline for that person. So the physician or provider that's holding that lawsuit, they don't file those answers. They work with defense counsel that we assign to help answer that complaint appropriately. Correct. Your call triggers us to assign this to defense counsel. We will pick somebody off our panel of defense law firms in town, and they will be the ones who will file all of the responsive documents with the court and basically take the litigation moving forward. We talk to our insureds, and sometimes when we get that phone call, it's sheer panic in their voice. They feel that they've been attacked, their credibility, they're fearful of the entire process. We even get questions about, am I going to lose my home? How much is this lawsuit worth? But we'll talk a little bit more about that and how we walk you through the process in a minute. But the number one thing is don't panic. Lean on us to help you get through this process. Stay calm. And hopefully listening to what we're talking about will help educate you about the process and really knowing what to expect every step of the way so that we can alleviate some of that anxiety. Whitney, we talk about preparing those answers, but we also tell the physicians, don't look at the chart. Don't talk to anyone. Why not? Those are some of the things that we like to advise our physicians as soon as we get that first phone call. It's important that our physicians don't access the medical record because that can trigger a notation in the audit trail about who's accessed the chart and when. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, sometimes that information becomes discoverable later in the litigation. And so it's cleaner and easier for you to wait and get a copy of the chart through your attorney. We always advise physicians, don't access the medical record, don't pull up the patient's chart. You will get a full copy of the chart from our office or the attorney that we will go over in great detail the first time we all meet. The second thing we always say is not to talk to anyone about the case. That's important because once you have a lawyer assigned to you, those conversations with the lawyer are privileged. There's a attorney-client privilege that applies. And so anything that you talk to the attorney about is privileged and cannot be discovered by the other side. But if you go and decide to talk to a colleague or bring it up within the office, those conversations are no longer protected and could become discoverable. Again, we're not saying that there's anything wrong that would be discussed with everybody, but it makes things cleaner and it keeps all of the information protected if you only have conversations about the case with your attorney. Are discussions with your insurance carrier considered privileged? And I get this question a lot too. What about if I I just have to go home and talk to a spouse or a significant other about this legal document that I received today? 
both good questions and great points. Discussions with your insurance carrier, which would be KMRRG, are also privileged. There's a triad relationship between the insurance provider, the physician, and the attorney. And so conversations between those three parties are protected. Likewise, there's a spousal privilege that protects conversations so that you could go home and have a conversation. Obviously, you don't want to hide something like this from your spouse. It's a very personal and stressful situation, and you should be able to talk to your spouse about it, and you can. So you you do have some protections there. The advice we give is more to avoid conversations with casual friends or in the work environment or at the office. Those conversations are the ones we're trying to avoid. And it's probably not a good idea to put a picture of yourself on Instagram or Facebook holding your new complaint and making that a very public affair. That is true. I would definitely suggest to stay away from social media platforms when it comes to litigation. All right, let's move on. We've talked about that initial phone call. You call our office and you've talked about we assign defense counsel. What are the next things that the insured can expect during this process? Sure. Well, I'll touch base again quickly on our process of assigning counsel. I think it's important for our insureds to know that we have a panel of defense lawyers and firms within the community who solely devote their practice to defending physicians and hospitals in medical negligence claims. I think that's important because as our physicians who are in their various specialties and areas of medicine, likewise, lawyers have areas and specialties in the law, and we have what I believe to be the very best legal counsel on our panel. So when we assign somebody we really look at the case and look at who's been sued, and we, we pick lawyers based on our our experience in dealing with different types of litigated matters, and we really try and pick a lawyer that we think will work well with the provider. And I think that's important to know because you will be working very closely with that attorney and sometimes the other lawyers in that firm for a long time throughout the life of your litigation. So it's important to have a good relationship with that person. Once that assignment has been made, the lawyer will probably reach out to you to touch base and make sure you have their contact information. There's a agreement on the best way to get a hold of you. And we will go ahead and schedule what we call an initial client meeting where we provide you with a copy of the chart and any other relevant documents, and we will sit down, you and the lawyer and somebody from the KMRRG office will sit down and thoroughly discuss the claim. We will go through the complaint. We will take a look at the medical records. This is the opportunity for you to explain your side of things and and what you recall happened. And that's important because a lawsuit can go on for a very long time and Over the years, memories can fade. So it's really important for us to get those initial impressions or memories of the care down as soon as possible. At the meeting, we will discuss what we think are the allegations in the case. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not so clear. And we begin our discussion on evaluating the claim. 
in determining whether we think there's any merit or value to the claim. So a lot of really important things are covered in that initial meeting. And hopefully that is an opportunity for you as the provider and the defendant to have any of your questions answered as well. All very good points. And one thing that sparked my interest was your comment about exchanging contact information with your defense counsel. And I guess my point simply would be, don't ghost your defense lawyer. It is a very trying process, but the fact is you can't make it go away. We will have to track you down. The best thing that you can do in working through the litigation process with us is be involved. And we hope that, again, listening today encourages you to help us with the defense of your care or help us get to the detail in the claim so that we can figure out what really occurred. And we know that the physicians or providers or insureds that work with us most closely have the most successful outcomes. So let's talk about what makes a claim valid from a legal perspective and what does the plaintiff have to prove? And do all claims have merit? Sure. There are essentially four elements. Sometimes people combine them, but there are several elements to a medical negligence claim. First, there has to be a duty between the plaintiff and the defendant and A lot of times in medical negligence cases, that duty is the physician-patient relationship. There must be some duty owed to the plaintiff. And in order to prevail on a medical negligence claim, there must be a breach of that duty. The plaintiff, that's their job, is to allege and prove that the defendant breached the duty. And a lot of times that is referred to as the standard of care. So there must be a violation of the standard of care in order to prevail. Additionally, there must be causation. There must have been some proximate cause between that alleged violation and any harm. And that brings us to the last element is there must be some harm or damage that the plaintiff experienced as a result of any alleged violation. So those are the elements that a plaintiff has to prove in a medical negligence claim. And in all or most situations, those have to be supported by expert testimony, meaning the plaintiff will hire an expert to say that the standard of care was violated and that caused some injury. And then on the flip side, the defense will hire experts to say, no, the standard of care was not violated and there was no causation. The last question on whether a claim has merit is something that our office and the provider and the attorney work closely together on evaluating. That's essentially the role of our office is to evaluate the merit of a claim. A lot of times, claims have no merit. There was simply nothing to suggest that anything was done wrong or that any harm resulted from the care. Sometimes a claim has merit, and that's a claim that maybe would result in a settlement. The important thing is that that's something that is being continually evaluated throughout the life of the case. 
So whether a claim has merit is pretty much the heart of the litigation. That's a very good point. And you mentioned a poor outcome or an unexpected outcome. And I think those are some of the most challenging cases for us to evaluate because the plaintiff believes because they've had an unexpected or poor outcome, that obviously something must have been done inappropriately or there was some sort of error. But that's just simply not the case. We would not be in business if we settled every single claim that came to our office. And you're right, it is a very big part of what we do in our business is working with defense counsel, expert witnesses, the insured to really determine if the claim has merit and if it's a case that ultimately can be defended, will be defended, or will result in a settlement. So all very good points. Talk to us about how long does this litigation process last? I mean, is this over in six months or is this something that is going to be done very quickly or what's the time frame for this? That's the part of the process that I know the providers have the hardest time understanding because it is a litigation is a long, slow process. A lawsuit can sometimes last between two to four years sometimes much longer. That's why it's so important to meet at the beginning and preserve certain documents, preserve your memory, identify any issues that need to be addressed throughout the life of the litigation, because it is a long process and it can be very fast paced at times, but then there could be a period of six months where nothing happens in a case. So I think that's probably the most frustrating part of the litigation process to the physician is just how long it takes sometimes until it reaches a conclusion. Yeah, that's a very good point. I know, wow, two to four years, that is a really long time. And and I do know from working in this industry a, a very long time that that is about the average. What happens during this time? What are we doing during this this two to four years of working through this claim? There are various phases of the litigation process. The first phase is generally the discovery phase, where after an answer has been filed, the parties will exchange what are called written discovery requests, basically questions and requests for documents that are exchanged amongst the parties. You will be heavily involved in that process because We want to make sure that we accurately or the lawyer accurately writes down your answers to those questions. A lot of times that is the kind of initial fact-finding phase to figure out exactly what the plaintiff is claiming was done wrong. The second phase of the litigation is the deposition phase. The plaintiff will be deposed. Sometimes it's the actual patient If it involves a death, it might be an administrator. Family members can be deposed at this time. And this is also where you as the provider and the defendant will be deposed. You will have to give a deposition and that will be sometimes intimidating, but our attorneys will do a great job of preparing you for the types of questions that will be asked. And it is another part of the litigation where you will be heavily involved because 
it is important to be prepared and understand the dynamics of a deposition. And I do think that will be probably the subject of an an entirely different podcast. Finally, after those two stages, we get to what we called expert discovery. Both sides will have experts to support their position in the case. The plaintiff will have an expert to say something was done wrong and that caused an injury. We will have an expert to support your care and say the standard of care was met. Those experts get disclosed and their depositions will be taken. This is another phase of the litigation where your input is very important because you are the expert when it comes to this type of medicine and your input on the questions to ask the opposing expert is very important. Each phase has different elements to it, but all of them involve your input and your involvement. So I think that it's important to to realize how vital it is to stay engaged in the litigation process. I know from working on cases that during this entire time, we're evaluating the defensibility of the case or the merits of the case. But sometimes these delays can be simply because the plaintiff is not taking an interest in the case, and it may sit for months or a year before it comes up on the judge's docket to say, hey, nothing's gone on in this case in a year. You need to start working on your case. And as an insurer, we don't push the litigation. It is the plaintiff's responsibility to come to us and keep that litigation moving forward if they want to pursue their claim. So there's a a lot of factors, not only in these three phases of litigation, that take a long time. Sometimes it's simply the plaintiffs don't have an interest, or it could be simply a scheduling issue. Maybe as the hour insured's deposition comes up, it may take us two, three months to find a block on your calendar where you can find the time to work in a deposition that meets the same schedule as your defense counsel and plaintiff counsel and maybe anyone else involved in the case. So there's a lot of factors that play into this very long time frame. But ultimately, you know, we're looking to get to the defensibility of the case, the merits of the case, and continue to defend our insureds throughout the process. Whitney, the whole process, you know, ultimately leads us to the resolution by settlement. Sometimes we do mediation, sometimes we have informal negotiations, and many times it can lead to trial. Is there anything you would say about any phases of that process as we try to move toward resolution of the claim? Well, there are essentially three ways a complaint or litigation will end. It could be dismissed. That's usually rare, but it does happen. And obviously that's the best outcome because for a variety of reasons, the plaintiff could realize they don't have a good case. They can't get an expert to support their position. So that is obviously the best outcome, but not the most common. The other two ways a claim would resolve is either by settlement, like you said, mediation, sometimes informal negotiations, 
or it could be resolved at a jury trial. I think the important thing to take away from that is we really value the input of the insured when it comes to that decision. It's a big decision to make whether or not to defend a claim all the way through trial because that is a very labor-intensive and time-consuming and emotionally exhausting process for all involved. But I do think that we really value what the insured wants and how vigorously they want to defend their case. So that is basically what the entire litigation process is aiming for, is are we going to settle this and resolve it for an appropriate amount of money, or are we going to try it? Well, I think we've come to the end of our discussion today, and we hope that you found our discussion about the litigation process to be helpful. We hope it relieves some anxiety you may have about working through this process with us. The most important takeaway is for you to know that you can call on us at any time for assistance that you need. We will be recording more sessions that will take a deeper dive into the litigation process. Whitney mentioned the deposition process. We plan to record a podcast that will walk you through the elements of the deposition and what you can expect there in addition to in-person preparation that you might have for that particular aspect of the litigation process. Whitney, do you have any closing comments? I think we covered a lot of information today. Hopefully it was helpful. I think the biggest takeaway is to always feel free to call our office with any questions you have, whether it's about a patient or whether you've been served with a lawsuit. We're here and we're committed to evaluating cases with you and assist you if you ever have a question due to an unexpected outcome or an issue with the patient. We know this can be an intimidating and frustrating process, but that is why our office is here and that is why the lawyers are here to help you through it. We hope you come back to listen to any of our other recorded podcasts on the subject of litigation, depositions, or any other matters that might be part of the litigation process or being an insured provider by KMRRG. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of MedMalcast. Go to our website at kmrrg.com for more episodes or wherever you get your podcasts.